just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. Welcome back to the Rational Boomer Podcast. This is episode two. The date is April 22nd, 2021. And we've had a pretty eventful week. The biggest story, of course, is the Derek Chauvin murder trial. Of course, he was arrested and charged for the murder of George Floyd in the streets of Minneapolis almost a year ago. Derek Chauvin had three charges against him, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. And in spite of what a lot of people thought might happen, Derek Chauvin was found guilty of all three charges. He's going to jail. Yeah, he'll try to appeal. He'll try a bunch of uh, ways to get out of this, but it won't work. Everything was too clear, too straightforward, and too much in your face in terms of evidence. He's going to have a hard time ever even getting an appeal. Now, there's a lot of people leading up to this trial that would say to me, oh, he's never going to get charged. He's never going to see jail. And that frustrated me. Actually, that kind of annoyed me. Because you see, whenever I go into something, I assume I'm going to win or things are going to go my way. That's just my strategy for whatever kind of success I can create. But these people will continually say, oh, they're never going to do the right thing. He's never going to go to jail. And as I say, I got annoyed about it. But after the trial ended and after he was convicted, my first thought was to go, see, he did get convicted. But then I thought better of it because I realized what I was really doing here was exerting my white privilege. You see, I wasn't seeing this through the perception of the people who have been offended by police brutality and racism in police departments. I haven't lived that, so I don't know what they're thinking. And people of color have seen this dog and pony show thousands of times. And every goddamn time, they've been disappointed. So it seems natural that when this came up, that it would be just like all the rest. I didn't see that because of who I am and what I am. So if I did come off annoyed to any people who were saying that, I apologize. Because now in retrospect, I understand where they were coming from. And I understand that I had no idea at the time. But thankfully, Derek Chauvin has been charged and convicted of three offenses. And he will go to jail. Now, some people will say, well, this... This situation was undercharged. And what I mean by that is that Derek Chauvin in each of the three charges, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter, each one of those is considered unintentional murder. Now, if you watch that video at all, watch Derek Chauvin's face, you know there was every bit of intention by Derek Chauvin. And it would make sense that he would be charged with intentional murder. 
But you have to understand how the prosecution looks at this. It's not about necessarily what he deserves. It's what they believe they can sell, what they believe they can get a conviction with. And they chose second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. Yeah, it's unintentional, but they believe they could sell that. And the fact of the matter is, they did. They got all three convictions. Now, understand that Derek Chauvin, while he didn't get an intentional charge, he's going to spend a lot of time in prison. If you add up all the uh, maximum prison sentences for those three charges, you're looking at anywhere from 40 to 65 years. This is essentially a life sentence for Derek Chauvin, and it's justified. This man took another man's life illegally in the streets of Minneapolis, showed no concern, no compassion, no empathy, no care at all. So now he goes to court, he's charged, and he's found guilty of these charges and he will essentially spend the rest of his life in jail. So justice is served. Well, kind of. Justice is served in this situation. And people are very excited about this decision. But understand, this decision really has no bearing on all the thousands of previous offenses against people of color. This doesn't fix those, but hopefully it's a turning point that we can get things on track and make sure it doesn't happen again. But even that is speculation, because we've got a long way to go to fix it all. But at least we've got an opportunity to get on the path. If we do our due diligence, if we keep our pressure on, if we continue to hold these people accountable, maybe, just maybe, we can fix this situation. Certainly improve the situation. Now, when this trial ended, there was a lot of happy people out there, not just people of color, white people too. That's the interesting thing about this case. When we had protests on the street last year, of course there were people of color out there protesting uh, about the offenses against their people, but there were a lot of white folks out there too because these are the white folks that understand that we're all the same. We're all just people, and we should have empathy for everybody. So a lot of people were happy, and a lot of people were relieved, because it was believed that if Derek Chauvin got off on this trial, there would be more riots, more protests, more violence, more looting, more engagements with the police department. In fact, some of these people on the right thought even if he did win the convictions and even if he did go to jail, these people would still riot, loot, cause violence. Thankfully, when it was all said and done, the night it was announced that he was guilty, it was more like a party situation out there, maybe like a, you know, after a a World Series win or something like that, because this was an important win, albeit not a final fix, but a big win for people who have rarely seen wins in these kinds of situations. So that's a good thing. 
The most appalling thing I've seen, though, since the conviction was announced was some of these radical right, I won't say news, but networks that were reporting on this trial. And many of them believed that Derek Chauvin should have been found innocent. And they were appalled by it, and they spoke against it on the air, on their networks. I can't believe that when I see that. Fortunately, I don't watch those kinds of networks, so I didn't see a lot of it. But I saw enough clips to understand that this is fucking ridiculous. And then I found out something that's even more ridiculous. I understand there's some polls out there that say 45% of all Republicans believe Derek Chauvin should have been found innocent. 45% of all Republicans. My God, that's fucking crazy. Now, keep in mind, the Republicans are the same people that have 55% that believe Donald Trump won the election and there was all kinds of election fraud, even though there has never been any evidence presented. So let's take those two numbers. You got 55% of all Republicans that think Donald Trump won. 45% of those same Republicans believe Derek Chauvin was innocent. Let's average it out. We'll split it down the middle. 50% of all Republicans have some serious mental problems. But when you look at it this way and know that 74 million people voted for Donald Trump in the 2020 election, you cut that in half, and that's 37 million people. That's a lot of goddamn people. In the scheme of things, that's more than 10% of the entire population of this country. Now, that is frightening. How is it possible that this country that has the education system it does have this many people that are stupid? Or is it just that they're racist or cultist or whatever? I don't know what it is, but when you have that many people who see everything the wrong way, can't be convict with or can't be convinced with evidence or lack of evidence, they just believe what they believe because either somebody told them that, somebody they think is smart and they aren't, or they just pull it out of their ass and they say, "Yeah, I don't like black guys, so I think Chauvin should be innocent." That's frightening. And that's something we really need to do something about. If we hope to get this country back on track, if we hope to improve this country, we need to address that group of people. Because not only are they going to be um, fly in the ointment when we're trying to do things, But clearly they've shown us that they have the ability to become violent. They have the ability to try to obstruct things. So we're now at a point where we have to make some decisions. You see, the Derek Chauvin case was a win. But as I say, it doesn't fix all the previous incidents that happened. Thousands of incidents, thousands of people that have been killed by white police officers, people of color. doesn't fix that. But it gives us a turning point a chance, an opportunity to hopefully change things. 
But we need to jump on this opportunity. We really do. We need to take advantage of the opportunity, and we need to stay diligent. We need to keep the pressure on. We need to continue to hold these people accountable, and we need to keep pushing. We can't just rest on our laurels now that we got a win, because that win is not enough. We got to get this country to a point where racism doesn't come into play in terms of policing. That people of color aren't being killed willy-nilly just because somebody doesn't like them. If you're a good citizen, if you're a God-fearing citizen or an atheist or whatever, but if you believe what's right is right, we got to still keep pushing for change in this country. I wanted to bring something else up before I get to the next step, and that's about the change in this country. I'm watching the verdict in my living room with my wife. Now, as the guilty verdicts are coming in, my wife is getting more weepy and crying, and it's all tears of joy. Because she believes, as I do, that Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd. And now the courts admit that he murdered George Floyd. And she was excited and worried and scared because she felt if he didn't get convicted, there would be all kinds of more violence and uh, looting and rioting. And uh, my wife is very empathetic. And when it comes to like people charging the U.S. Capitol or the riots and that sort of thing, she wants to watch what's going on so she understands what's happening. But she gets too upset. She gets too upset. And I think a lot of folks out there feel the same way. But the interesting thing was, as they're reading the verdicts, they're showing Derek Chauvin sitting in his seat. And he's got the mask on, and you see his eyes darting around like he's scared shitless as well he should be. And for as excited as my wife was about the conviction, she looked at me and she says, I know this sounds crazy, but I kind of feel sorry for Derek Chauvin. And because I know my wife and other people, I understand that. Because here's a man sitting in a seat that now, at that moment in time, had his life taken away. He's going to be put away in prison for the rest of his life. And that, in itself, is sad. And my wife feels empathy for Derek Chauvin. But then, of course, she she reminds herself that this man took away all integrity and the life of George Floyd by kneeling on his neck in a street in Minneapolis. I think there's a lot of people who maybe watch that and even just for a split second, felt a bit of empathy for Derek Chauvin. Well, let me tell you this. I'm a more pragmatic guy. I don't have as much emotion tied up in my thought processes, my wife or some others do. I saw that justice was accomplished that day in this particular situation. There's a long way for justice to come for all of the people of color. 
those that have suffered, and those that might suffer down the road. There's a long way. And as much as there might be some empathy for the human being that Derek Chauvin is, the man that he is deserves the punishment that he's getting. The punishment matches the crime. It's really, really a crazy situation. If you're empathetic at all, you can't help but feel sorry for both sides. But whether you're empathetic for both sides, understand this. What happened that day when Derek Chauvin was convicted of three charges of murder, empathy aside, that was the right thing to do. That's what needed to happen. That was important to start finding change in this country. And that's what we need. So if you felt empathetic uh, for Derek Chauvin, even for an instant, don't be embarrassed by that. It's because you're a good person. You have a good heart. And when you see another human in trouble, that hurts your heart. I wish I was that empathetic. I'm not. I kept constantly seeing him as an egregious criminal getting what he deserved. And the thing about it is, is had he gotten away with this, not only would it have been injustice for him to get away with it, it would just open the doors for more people to do what he did and believe they could get away with it. And that's always been the problem here. For some reason, police officers believe they can do what they want to do. They've kind of gone rogue out there on the streets. And the reason they've gone rogue is because they've been allowed to do whatever they want to do. And the reason they're allowed to do that is because of police unions. These police unions are so strong and so powerful that people like Derek Chauvin can have complaint after complaint after complaint and still keep their jobs. Derek Chauvin had 18 complaints. He was involved in two other shootings. Not a good man. Certainly not a good cop. And had there been any power in the administration in the Minneapolis Police Department, Derek Chauvin would have probably been gone after two or three of these offenses and he would have never had the opportunity to do this to George Floyd. So that's the fix here. We have to make the police more accountable. We have to not allow police unions to have so much strength that these guys can do whatever they want. You see it every day. I mean, I've watched a lot of these videos where people are pulled over by the police seemingly for no reason. And they're pushing back a little bit because they feel like their rights are being infringed. And they're right because they are. But these police officers don't appreciate people exercising their constitutional rights. They believe they have the ultimate power. They believe these people should bend and bow and do whatever they're told no matter what it is. And the fact of the matter is police Police officers aren't in a position to command anybody. They are servants to us. They are here to keep the peace. 
not to cause violence. And unfortunately, when people are contradicted, these police officers, when they are questioned, they immediately get mad. And when they get mad, then they start to react. They think out of emotion. They don't think out of what the law says or even logic. They get mad that this person had the audacity to contradict him or her. And what do they do? They get mad, and then things get ugly. People get dragged out of the car for tags uh, that are expired. That's not a serious crime. You walk up, you give somebody a ticket, tell them to fix it, and send them on their way. Under no circumstances should you have to get them out of the car. There's no circumstances where you have to drag them out of the car, beat them, tase them, even shoot them. There is no indication that that is necessary in that kind of stop. I've been pulled over for tags before. Cop walks up to the door, give me your license, give me your insurance. Tells me I've got expired tags. I say, okay, I didn't realize that. I'll get it taken care of. He gives you a ticket. You're on your way. That's a cop's job. Not to take personal opinion or their personal racism into play and accelerate or escalate this situation. But that's exactly what happens because somebody says something this cop doesn't like, or maybe they don't say anything at all that this cop doesn't like. They just don't like this particular citizen, and they react like bullies. They think they are the ultimate power, and they are not the ultimate power. They are there to make arrests. The courts are there to make convictions and apply penalties. It's way out of the cop's bailiwick. But seemingly, they think they have control over everything. And somebody like Derek Chauvin has chosen to make the arrest, convict George Floyd, and execute him on the street. If you can't see that as a problem, well, then you, my friend, are a problem. Now, that brings me to this bill that's come up because of all this violence and this killing of people of color, and it's called the George Floyd Policing Act. Now, this is an act that is to combat police misconduct, excessive force, and racial bias. It's basically saying that the police officers cannot do that. Let me repeat that. This is to combat police misconduct, excessive force, and racial bias. Question I have is, why do we even have to have a bill for that? Isn't that part of the police department's training? Isn't that just common sense and just human instinct to not do those things? Apparently not. So they feel it's important to pass this bill. Well, it's already passed the House. It was brought to the House of Representatives by the Democrats and the Black Congressional Caucus. And it passed the House with no problem. But now it has to go to the Senate. And funny, but the Republicans don't like it. Nope, they don't like it. And my question to them is, what is it you don't like? Do you think there should be police misconduct? Do you think there should be excessive force? Do you think they should allow racial bias? How in the world could you be against this? 
other than you don't vote for anything that comes through a democratic process. Now, one thing they will mention is qualified immunity. They don't like to have that taken away. The doctrine of qualified immunity protects state and law officials from uh, individual liability unless whatever was done can be proved to be against somebody's constitutional right. One of the examples I saw online was uh, officer uh, shoots a 10-year-old child while trying to shoot a non-aggressive dog. That sounds absolutely ridiculous, but that sort of thing has happened and will happen again. This basically says if they can do something and it's a whoopsie, they can get away with it. We're hiring police officers. They're so supposed to be trained. They're supposed to be professionals. And when they make these ridiculous and stupid mistakes, they should be held accountable for them, especially when citizens lose something, especially a family member. You can't just sweep that away and say, oh, no big deal. He made a mistake. You'll get better next time. That makes no goddamn sense. And that's what qualified immunity is. And that's what the Republicans are afraid for the police departments to lose. My point is, if you've got police officers who are professionals, who know what to do and have been properly trained and have the proper expectations of them, why do we have to give them immunity on anything? Isn't it reasonable to think that they will do the job they were trained for and do it properly? Yes, there are occasions when there are mistakes and that sort of thing. But George Floyd wasn't a whoopsie and a mistake. Dante Wright was a mistake, but it was a mistake made by police. Kim Potter apparently can't decide the difference between a taser and a Glock gun. Should she get immunity because she did a whoopsie? No, I don't think so. Because the cost for the family, the cost for Dante Wright was far too high. And if somebody loses their life, there has to be some retribution. There has to be a price paid for that mistake. If I'm driving down the road, I get distracted and I hit somebody on the street. That was a mistake by me. It wasn't intentional. But you know what? I am going to get some kind of punishment. Because somebody died, and I wasn't paying attention. So why not the police, especially when they're trained and alleged to be professionals? It only makes sense. So the Republicans don't like this George Floyd Policing Act. And while this conviction of Derek Chauvin is a big win and a chance to get things on the right path, This is one of those things that we have to pass. The George Floyd Policing Act, we have to pass that to get us solidly on the path and get us headed in the right direction. Some Republicans will say, well, we convicted Derek Chauvin. We don't even need this bill. Yeah, we fucking do. Clearly, we do. Look at the thousands of people of color that have been killed or injured or wrongly convicted 
because of racist cops, because of arrogant cops. So we do need some protection. As I said before, these things that's trying to protect people from should just be common sense, common logic with police departments, but it's apparently not. So we have to build a bill into the system so that there's no question that that, that's not allowed. So we're going to see what's going to happen with this. There might be some negotiations. In fact, I heard today there are looking better at getting this bill passed uh, because of uh, some negotiations between Republicans and Democrats. They're looking at uh, some different ways to approach qualified immunity. Not get rid of it, but make it more logical. You know what I mean? Making it not just a free pass for police officers. Not sure how they're going to do that, but they are going to uh, negotiate this out. And I would suggest that they would probably um, get this passed at some time in the not-so-distant future. Of course, we also heard the Department of Justice is investigating the Minneapolis Police Department, given the Dante Wright, the George Floyd situation, and many others that have occurred in the Twin Cities, or in Minneapolis specifically. I've said this before in one of my TikToks. I grew up in South Minneapolis. I grew up in the area covered by the 3rd Precinct, which is where Derek Chauvin was from. These police officers in that department, in that 3rd Precinct, have long been known for abuse of power, racial bias, and violence. When I was a young man, I knew of a number of kids that didn't get tickets but got their ass kicked. Now, I was fortunate because one of my best friend's father worked at the 3rd Precinct. If I ever got pulled over, everybody knew who I was and they were easy on me. But I know there were a lot of people in my neighborhood that weren't so lucky. And that's why the cops in the 3rd Precinct specifically were known as the Goon Squad, because that's exactly what they were. I had a situation one time. My brother went to a party for a friend that was just recovering from cancer. It was a very quiet party. No one was outside. They were all inside, and it was a very somber night. My brother goes over, gives his best wishes, says hi, hangs out for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. He walks out and walks to his car. Now, he's a kid of 19 years old, about. He walks out to his car. Before he gets to his car, a cop walks up to him, says nothing to him, nothing to him, and sprays him with mace. So my brother's asking, why why would you do that? I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't even in my car. So he kind of stumbles, wipes his eyes, trying to be able to see again, gets in his car, And he's wiping his eyes, and he's just starting to be able to see again. Then all of a sudden, a cop comes over and knocks on the window. So my brother complies, rolls down the window. Cop doesn't say another word. But again, he sprays him with mace. No reason for it. No arrest. No ticket. No explanation. They were just being dicks. And that's how things were perceived 
in my neighborhood back in the 70s. So if my brother was 19, it would have been 79, 80 when this happened. And that isn't an isolated situation. That kind of situation happened a lot. So yeah, you can investigate the Minneapolis Police Department. I'll just say it's about goddamn time because this has been going on for decades. And if you think the Minneapolis Police Department is the only one that has issues, I got a surprise for you. You've got police departments all around this country that have serious racial violent problems. The situation with the police departments isn't about bad police officers. It's about a bad culture. People will always say, well, not all cops are bad. Well, that's probably true. In fact, I know it's true because I know some cops. But if you have, say, 100 cops on a force, 10 cops are bad and violent and racist. But you have 90 cops that just go along with the flow, don't say anything, don't try to fix the situation. Are they truly good cops? I don't think so. If they can stand by and watch these people abuse citizens, I have a problem with that. And I have a problem with those 90 seemingly good cops. So it's not about good cops. It's about police culture and how they are trained, and how they act, and what they think. And it goes back to what I said before. They believe they're the ultimate authority. They have complete power over you, and you should bend and bow to everything they tell you, or you're going to get it. And when I say get it, I mean physically. Maybe you get maced, maybe you get beat up, maybe you get tased, and maybe you get shot. But that is not how the police department is supposed to run. It's just not the way it runs. So we have a lot of problems with this situation. And it's going to be interesting to see how things go. As I say, the Derek Chauvin conviction is a start. It's a turning point. But we can't let up now. we got to stay on top of this and make sure that things start to improve. One of the things I've said about police officers and in terms of what we should do in the future, first of all, we need to pay them more money. And I don't mean a reward to the existing cops. I mean pay more money so we can get a more elite group of people, a better trained, a better emotional police officer in the department. And then you hold them accountable to the T. They make a couple mistakes, they're gone. Make being a police officer a true profession. Give them some pride in their profession. Keep them accountable so they don't think they can get away with whatever they want. They're having a bad day or they hate black people. I can do whatever I want. You pay them a good amount of money. You get a better class of people. And then you hold them accountable. They make a couple mistakes, they're gone. Another suggestion that somebody made is that uh, we should make them carry insurance like, say, maybe a doctor would. And I get that. Because 
if they have a lot of claims against them, their insurance is going to become more and more expensive. As it becomes more and more expensive, then there's motivation for the police department to fire them because they're becoming too much of a liability. There's something to be said about that, too. And uh, maybe that's something we can do in addition to some of these other things. But however we do it, we got to do it now. Since Derek Chauvin was on trial, we had Dante Wright killed 10 miles away because a police officer didn't know the difference between her taser and a gun. And then in Chicago, we've got a 13-year-old boy who obviously had some troubles in his past. He may have even had a gun for a time in that situation. I'll acknowledge that. But the fact of the matter is, as this cop is chasing him down the alley, says, stop, drop it, let me see your hands. There's a picture just before this kid is shot. He's standing there, stopped. He's standing there with his hands up and no guns in sight. Yet within an instant after that picture was taken, he was shot and killed. Is this about a racist cop? I don't know if it's about a racist cop. Maybe not. It's about a cop that scared shitless and skittish and shot instead of thinking. Now, most of us in that situation, maybe you reacted like that on emotion, on fear. But cops aren't supposed to do that. They're trained not to do that. And if you question that, just ask a cop. Cops will tell you, no, that shouldn't happen. Like they did with the Derek Chauvin, George Floyd situation. Not one cop said, yeah, that was the right thing to do. They all said it was egregious, that it was murder. And in the situation with this guy in, in uh, Chicago, I don't know that it was a racist type of thing. It could have been. But I just think this guy's running down the alley. He's scared to death. And he's a cop. The kid drops the gun, turns around, holds his hands up, figures, I'm done here. I'm going to get arrested, but at least I'll be alive. But no, that's not the case because this cop got a hair trigger, pulls it, kills him. He's done. And you can tell by the audio after the shooting that this is cop scared. He knows he did the wrong thing because now he's trying to revive this kid. Well, you just shot this poor bastard in the chest. Now you want to save him? Only reason you want to save him is because you know you fucked up. Now, we need to talk about one other case. And this is a tougher case. We've got uh, this girl, Micaiah, in Ohio. And this case is interesting. And it's hard to tell what you do in this situation. The interesting thing is another white cop, black teenager, killed within seconds after the cops arrive. But there are some extenuating circumstances to this situation. Now, Micaiah was being bullied or picked on by somebody, and she saw these two girls and knew that they were going to hurt her. So she did the right thing. She called the police. Micaiah called the police and said, I'm in danger here. I need help. So the cops are on their way, and they're going to show up. Well, apparently there was some interaction by these two girls with Micaiah, Now, unfortunately, Micaiah had a knife on her. Why did she have a knife on her? Well, maybe she was tired 
of being picked on day after day. I don't know if that's true, but it's possible. So these two kids start a fight with her, and she pulls out her knife. She's getting hurt, and she's got the knife raised in the air. Cop shows up within 22 seconds after getting out of the car. He shoots and kills Micaiah. So who's at fault there? The first thing people want to do is blame the cop for shooting another black teenager. And that is a problem. Let me tell you that. And poor Micaiah was the one being bullied, and she's now trying to protect herself. She happened to have a knife, which was not a good idea for her. So she's already in this mix-up with these two girls. She might be feeling desperate. She might be feeling in danger. So she pulls out this knife, raises it to try to protect herself against two girls, and she gets shot. Now, the way people will argue this is they will say, well, the cop shot a black girl, but he was trying to save another black girl's life. And that may be true. Was she actually going to stab this girl? Well, I guess it looked like it. So what do you do in that situation? I don't know. Do you have time to taser? Are you sure the taser is going to work? Again, I don't know. This is a tough situation. This isn't as cut and dried as Dante Wright. This isn't as cut and dried as uh, George Floyd. But it is still something to consider. It may have something to do with training. I still have a problem with this cop shooting somebody within 22 seconds of stopping the car. Cops are supposed to be trained to de-escalate situations. And maybe you didn't have an opportunity in this, this event. So I'm not sure how it's going to go. I'm not even sure how to think about it. I know a girl that was bullied that was trying to protect herself is now dead. And that's a problem. So maybe in this situation... It falls on the police for whatever crime or non-crime that they committed. But maybe it's something that parents need to address. The whole bullying issue. I dealt with it with my kids. Fortunately, they ended up being big guys, so nobody was going to bully them. But when they were young, there were some bully situations. You go to the parent and say, your son's bullying my son. Tell him to stop. They'd blow it off and do nothing. I'll tell you what I did in one situation, and this isn't a recommended remedy for bullying. (laughs) You know, I was in my late 20s, different kind of guy. I walk up to uh, this parent in daycare. He has a kid that's a couple years older than my kid, and my kid is the sweetest, nicest, non-aggressive kid you could possibly have. And, of course, this kid two years older is bullying him. It's our first kid. We're very protective. My wife is upset. So I go to the dad and I said, look, such and such is bullying Tony. I need you to stop this. I need you to put a stop to this. I need you to do your job as a parent and stop this. And of course, he kind of laughed it off and blew it off. He says, oh, they're just kids doing whatever. I said, no, 
If my kid was two years older than your kid and beating your kid up, you would have a different perception. So you need to do something. And he would just, he just wasn't having it. (laughs) Fortunately, he wasn't a very big guy. And I'm not proud of this, but this is part of my late 20s age period where I had more testosterone than intellectuality. (laughs) And I looked at him, I said, your son is going to stop bullying my son. Because if not, I'm going to come to your house and kick your ass. And he said, what? I said, I'm serious. I'm that concerned about my child's safety that if I have to beat your ass to get you to do your job as a parent, I will do that. You wouldn't do that. I said, I'll do it right fucking here because my kid is more important to me than you are. And if I have to go through you to ensure his safety, you can bet your ass I'm going to do it. Well, fortunately, (laughs) I got him to believe that uh, I would actually do it. The fact of the matter is, I don't know if I would have actually done it. Being in your late 20s, having a house, having a kid, getting a fight is not a good idea. It's a good way to get sued. But I took the moment hoped a little intimidation would work and it would allow my son to be safe. And it did. It worked. He felt uh, encouraged to stop his child. Well, fortunately, Tony ended up growing up to be about 6'3 and about 230. Still a pretty easygoing, non-aggressive guy, but somehow kids didn't want to pick on him anymore. In fact, he had a lot of friends and it worked out fine. There's a lot of things we need to do in this society, and policing is a big one. We can't continue to have people of color being killed for no reason on the streets. And if you're white and you say, well, that doesn't concern me, the attitude those police officers are showing to people of color are showing to white people, too. They're treating them badly. Sure, they're not killing white people as much, but you still have to deal with a cop that an, has an attitude and thinks he can overpower you for any reason at all at any time. I've experienced that myself. So this is a problem that affects everybody. It just happens to affect people of color far, far worse. We're at the turning point. We've got a bill up to be put into force. And we can make some changes. We've got to make those changes. We will make those changes. So anyway, <laughs> we're wrapping up the Rational Boomer, Episode 2. I hope you'll subscribe and continue to listen. We'll be talking about a lot of things. And not all shows will be serious. I, uh, I don't take myself too seriously. And I have some uh, pretty interesting and humorous experiences in my life that I want to share with you, experience or, or, or uh, weird perceptions on what's going on in this country. So I hope you'll stick with us. One of the things I want to do here and what I said before is the rational boomer is not that I'm the rational boomer. It's because I know there's a lot of other rational boomers out there and we get a bad rap for all being Trump fan crazies and we're not. So I'm hoping that with this show, we can pull together more of us that are rational and happen to be boomers, and that maybe as we come together, we can do some good, maybe have some power, have a voice. It's not just for me, it's for all of us. 
because I'm not worried about me as much as I am worried about doing some good to make things better for our kids, our grandkids, and our great-grandkids. If you're a boomer, you're at the point now where you're not striving for the top. You don't want to be rich and famous. You just want to leave a good legacy and leave your family with a good life. That's what I want to do, and I think that's what most of you want to do. So stick with me here on The Rational Boomer. And uh, if you have questions, comments, again, I encourage you to do that. I want you to be as much a part of this show as I am. So you can make comments. I think you can even make voice comments. And if you do that, I'll take the voice comments and put them in the show unless you don't want that to happen. So anyway, you have a good time. We're going to do at least two shows a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. But I'm probably going to do more than that. I'm a talker. I can talk forever, clearly. And uh, I just want to get out here a lot and be able to talk to you and have more than a minute like I do with TikTok to uh, get a point across. So you have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Rational Boomer. Thanks for listening to The Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.